0: Welcome to the Frankly Speaking podcast, Friends of Europe's weekly broadcast on the topics of European and world affairs. Coming up this week.
1: Ambassador, to turn to you first and foremost, what are your expectations? How do you rate the EU's performance in this particular crisis?
0: This uh, Association Council meeting, it's a it's first meeting we have uh, after uh, this full-fledged invasion from uh, Russia.
1: If you could write uh, Ursula von der Leyen's speech yourself, uh, what would you put in, in it when it comes to EU-Ukraine relations as we move forward?
0: It's definitely unity, resilience, or continuity of this support.
1: Good afternoon, everybody, and welcome back to our Friends of Europe weekly, frankly speaking, uh, podcast. Uh, We've had a bit of a break uh, over uh, the uh, summer, but today I'm very pleased that we're able to go back to our uh, weekly uh, uh, series. Um, As you will recall, when we started the podcast, uh, we have devoted them all uh, to looking at the broader implications of the war in uh, Ukraine and particularly the consequences uh, for uh, international security, the European Union, uh, NATO, uh, and of course, uh, Russia. Over the longer term. So true to that tradition. uh, That's what we're going to be speaking about today. I'm absolutely delighted that we have a special guest for you. uh, And no, none better when it comes to speaking about Ukraine. We have the uh, ambassador of, of Ukraine to the European Union, Ambassador Chentsov uh, with us. Um, and he's also the uh, ambassador to the European Atomic Energy Agency. And given all of the focus that we've had on the Zaporizhia nuclear power plant uh, over the summer uh, weeks, uh, then uh, there could be none, none better either, uh, perhaps to comment on uh, that particular aspect as well, uh, particularly as we look uh, to the role of the United Nations and in the International Atomic Energy Agency agency in finding a solution for the removal of Russian forces and the demilitarization of the area uh, around the plant. Now, Uh, Ladies and gentlemen, dear viewers, uh, you've seen in recent days uh, uh, very uh, spectacular uh, news uh, regarding the Ukrainian forces advancing and recapturing large swathes of their territory, Uh, particularly south of Kharkiv. President Zelensky has spoken of 6,000 square kilometers having been recaptured. And I know that a lot of the media focus, uh, predictably, has been on how much faster and uh that uh, advance can go. But today, uh, we'd like to focus on some other aspects of uh, the Ukrainian uh, conflict, uh, notably uh, Ukraine's relationship with the EU, the perception of how much support Ukraine has had from the European institutions. What's the mark? One out of 10. Uh, of course, uh, where we go now that the European Union has taken the giant step forward in recognizing Ukraine formally as a candidate for a accession. Uh, but Ambassador, to turn to you first and foremost, I, I understand that a meeting of the Ukraine EU Association Council, the formal mechanism whereby you consult the EU, is coming up soon. What's on the agenda, and, and what what are your expectations of this meeting? Similarly, I understand that uh, the uh, President of the Commission, Ursula von der Leyen, is shortly to give us her annual State of the Union speech in Strasbourg to the European Parliament. So once again, you know, what what are your expectations? You know, uh, how do you rate the EU's performance? Performance uh, in this particular crisis.
0: Well, thank you very much. First of all, for having me here, uh, Ukraine EU Association Council. Uh, it's uh, it's a main format uh, for our uh, relations uh, with the EU on the governmental level. Definitely, we have annual summits on the top level between Ukraine and EU, uh, but. Uh, when it's uh, it's, uh, it's it's about to take stock of implementation of the association agreement, uh, to discuss uh, sectoral integration, uh, this is uh, the format. And the Prime Minister of Ukraine, Shmigal, is co-chair of the Ukrainian side and uh, uh, Vice President of the Commission, uh, 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 High Representative uh, Borel, together with Commissioner Verge co-chairing on the EU side. Uh, What is important that this uh, Association Council meeting, it's the first meeting we have uh, after uh, this full-fledged invasion from uh, Russia uh, is taking place against Ukraine. Uh, And our ability to to hold such a meeting itself It's quite symbolic. It means that our government is functioning, our economy is functioning, and we have, let's call it usual uh, issues to discuss with the EU, not only crisis management, uh, but normal, uh, let's say sometimes boring, as it used (laughs) to be with the EU, Uh, technical issues are on the agenda. And uh, it's not only prime ministers, uh, line ministers, uh, economy uh, agricultural transport accompanying prime minister for this meeting uh, so it's, uh, it's it's significant that we are we, we are having this consistent continuous dialogue with the eu on different levels and regarding the agenda definitely uh, the issues related to the to the to the situation and to this uh, crisis management in terms of economic governance it's definitely on the agenda, and issues uh, about the economic and financial support to the EU uh, from the EU to Ukraine, uh, sanctions issue uh, issues. As I mentioned, uh, sectoral integration in particular, uh, solidarity lines to facilitate uh, the exports of Ukrainian uh, goods. So it's a combination, let's say, of a standard uh, agenda. Uh, but definitely with a focus on the on the current needs uh, in the context of of, of, of of this war with
1: Russia. Uh, Ambassador, many thanks for that. Uh, I also mentioned uh, the State of the Union speech. I mean, uh, you've had a lot of signals from the European Union in recent months, as, as I mentioned in my introduction, particularly this historic move in recognizing Ukraine as a formal candidate for future membership. Uh, but But what sort of Extra signals are you now looking for? Are you, for example, looking for a specific EU commitment to come up with a certain amount of money for reconstruction, uh, which will turn to, I know, uh, in the near future, uh, a specific EU role in uh, rebuilding uh, U- Ukraine and so on? Uh, uh, what would you, if you could write uh, Ursula von der Leyen's speech yourself, uh, what would you put in, in it when it comes to EU-Ukraine relations as we move forward?
0: I'm sure that uh, uh, Ukraine uh, will, uh, will, uh, will be a, a significant uh, issue in the uh, Commission President's speech uh, uh, in Strasbourg. Uh, and uh, what we expect uh, from, from EU, not only Commission, but in more general, it's definitely unity, resilience, continuity of this support. And we are talking about uh, basically uh, three main pillars. It's uh, financial and economic support to Ukraine, including microfinancial assistance. And uh, we, uh, we, we hope that this agreement to provide Ukraine 8 billion euro till the end of this year will be accomplished. Uh, we have significant process, uh, progress, at least with a the, with the part of this sum, which is 5 million. And we are, I, I think, it's on the, on the good track already. And the uh, Commission Presidents and the, and the leaders of the Member States, they're working hard on that. Uh, definitely, and the second, uh, not, uh, not less important thing, is that our arms uh, deliveries to Ukraine, and we know quite precisely what we need uh, to defend Ukraine and to uh, to create, uh, you know, this parity uh, with with Russia. Because till recently, and still it's the case, Russia prevails with artillery and ammunition, and we we definitely need heavy weapons. And when we are talking, about, you mentioned the advances of Ukrainian army. Uh, we, we need other, other weapons like, like tanks uh, to, uh, to support those advances. And uh, this, is, this is definitely on the agenda, not uh, not only within the EU format, uh, but uh, so-called Rammstein format when uh, our Minister of Defense is participating. And third pillar is definitely sanction pressure, both economic sectoral sanctions which work, in spite of, of the, uh, the the magnitude of sanctions already imposed uh, against Russia, it needs uh, definitely fine tuning and uh, to work how to uh, to to, uh, to fight circumvention of sanctions. It's it's it definitely needs next steps on on energy, including uh, price cap. Uh, on, 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 on sectoral issues, on services like uh, cloud computing, uh, cyber currency, uh, l- listing of additional Russian banks, swifting them, but uh, also personalities involved in uh, uh, organizing filtration cam- camps, uh, fake referenda, the, the, their planning, yep. uh, and so on and so forth. So it's a complex uh, pressure on, on Russian and its leadership.
1: Thanks, Ambassador. You've described a very full agenda there. You you mentioned, of course, these important arms uh, deliveries from EU NATO member states and others more broadly, like Australia, in recent months to support Ukraine. Uh, The current offensive does suggest that those weapons deliveries uh, have arrived on time and are making an impact. uh, But I don't want to underestimate either uh, the courage and the fortitude of the Ukrainian army Uh, which of course is uh, doing the fighting but uh, uh, the EU uh, several months ago seemed to make a big step forward by using its so-called European peace facility for the first time to actually uh, purchase uh, weapons to send to you. Uh, The other thing as I went off uh, on my summer break was the EU was was discussing the establishment of a training mission, a military training mission how significant have, have been these two EU initiatives the the weapon supplies through the peace facility and uh, does the training mission really add value to all of those national bilateral uh, training programs uh, that uh, you're seeing at the moment
0: well I think the EPF uh, it, it was a, it, it was a serious uh, stimulus uh, for those uh, member states who were able to deliver uh, weapons uh, to ukraine especially uh, during the last uh, uh, 6 months uh, the fact is that already approximately approximately half of the epf uh, has been earmarked for ukraine to cover to reimburse uh, the, the weapons already supplied to ukraine so this is a question for the for the member states how to proceed Whether uh, probably it will be uh, something to worth considering uh, creating a separate uh, fund for Ukraine in this situation. Uh, But the 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 situation evolves. Uh, We we see the political will is there, and I hope that both institutions, uh, external election service and member states, uh, they will adopt. Uh, the instrument accordingly to, to take into account Ukrainian needs, but also dynamics on the ground. Uh, so, in the nutshell, it, uh, it is a, 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 an important and useful instrument to be adopted to, to the situation. And it's a new instrument, so yeah. we, we learn in, in the process. Uh, regarding the training mission, yes, uh, the, it, it, this idea was announced recently, and it is important that eu also uh, catching up and uh, to com- to complement uh, already existing initiatives uh, uk and other uh, us uh, other bilateral initiatives and uh, now uh, w- w- we we just started this discussion uh, how to to make use of of eu capabilities member state capabilities uh, to train uh, Ukrainian forces, uh, but also what, uh, what, what kind of medium and long-term steps could be taking that EU could learn from Ukraine. Because Ukraine is using not only Soviet-type uh, equipment and weapons, but also modern uh, Western equipment in the, in the completely new circumstances for the member states. Uh, and I think it's it's, yeah. it's it
1: could be useful
0: for both yeah, sides. There's a
1: sort of a lessons learned. Uh, exactly, the French say retour d'expérience, and the retour suggests it's a two way street. Ambassador, I'd like now to turn to uh, uh, the. Uh, process by which uh, Ukraine will become uh, an EU member. Uh, Obviously, it's very difficult to see how uh, with reconstruction still pending, how negotiations can start at the moment. But on the other hand, I imagine that you in Brussels, uh, and of course, your authorities in Kiev don't want to sort of postpone this by centuries, uh, uh, but, but want to sort of get at least some part of the negotiations, maybe some of the chapters opened uh, fairly soon, um, uh, because obviously the negotiations produce a dynamism uh, all of their own. So could you give us a sense of your thinking, the thinking of your government as to how to move forward on this uh, uh, now, Uh, again, so that we don't have this sort of, you know, long, long, long waiting uh, room uh, process?
0: yes exactly uh, not not to wait for centuries but even for years it will not be acceptable
1: yeah, indeed uh,
0: and uh, uh, we uh, we do our best to implement uh, those uh, seven steps uh, which uh, which were suggested uh, by the commission and uh, endorsed by the european council this summer and we have we, we managed in spite of the war uh, to to accomplish uh, few important uh, tasks already, like adoption of the special anti-corruption prosecutor, um, moving forward with the legislation uh, on, on media, uh, also uh, setting the, the ground for, uh, for uh, adoption, uh, for uh, nomination of the um, members of the Constitutional Court, so on and so forth. So Ukraine is, is moving forward. Uh, along the lines suggested uh, by, by by the EU side, and uh, so we are quite ambitious, and uh, there is a will to finalise uh, this process by the end of the year, uh, and to, the, to start discussion uh, with with the Commission and the Member States about the next steps. Uh, definitely the war is, is uh, the major factor to, to be taking into account, and uh, the the reconstruction of Ukraine uh, to take place. Uh, but we even with the infrastructure reconstruction, we are not going to wait before the war is forward. We are talking about the immediate steps to take to prepare for the winter. And in particular, it's about reparation of the schools and hospitals and other social infrastructure, but also residential buildings uh, where we can make a quick fix And by the way, this is also an important issue to discuss with the the president of the commission and the member states these days. And your question regarding the European political community,
1: uh, Ambassador, uh, thanks for remembering that because you anticipated precisely the yes. question I was going to ask you next. Yes, there's been, uh, as you know, Ambassador, quite a controversy about that. You know, some seeing it as a useful way of engaging and uh, geopolitically preparing Ukraine uh, for its uh, European identity, which it has already, of course, but its future membership. Others believed that it could be some sort of, you know, parking lot, if you like, uh, which uh, takes you away from the, you know, the key negotiations which you have to. Go through, of course, to become a member of the EU. So, how is how is this idea sort of perceived in Kiev? Uh, that that. So, thank you for anticipating that question.
0: Yes, and it's uh, uh, indeed I expected this question. And uh, in, uh, in in in, er, in early uh, October in Prague, uh, the back to back to the informal European summit, uh, this first gathering of, of uh, eventual partic- uh, partic- participants of, of this initiative will take place. And uh, so it's a beginning. And uh, what is important for Ukraine that this process is not a substitution uh, to the enlargement process, in particular, as far as Ukraine is concerned. Uh, if uh, if it is useful for Ukraine, definitely we, we are going to, to take active part. And if this initiative will be, will be helpful to force the unity inside and outside the EU, uh, in, uh, with the v Russian aggression, definitely it will be for us a, a serious contribution. I don't know personally whether this uh, initiative will have any economic dimension, let's see. So in that regard, so we, I, I do not see any, any conflict for a time being between our accession track and participation in this discussion. Uh, regarding uh, opening uh, certain chapters as soon as possible, yes, I think uh, it will be useful. And uh, this is something already in the air. Uh, this is something uh, President of, uh, of the European Council, Charles Michel mentioned, uh, then he he described this idea of the gradual integration, Uh, not to wait until the the, the whole process will be accomplished to benefit from from the membership, but already to to, to, to use uh, use the possibilities of uh, economic and sectoral cooperation in full with the EU in the areas Ukraine is compatible, like energy, and already quite integrated, or connectivity, or digital economy, and Ukraine, or or agriculture, no doubt. So Ukraine is already a, a factor, a power in certain areas, even during the war. We can deliver
1: Yes, I even heard reports the other day that Ukraine will supply... A certain uh, Eastern European countries with electricity and energy because uh, you have a surplus which of course is currently lacking in the rest of Europe with all of these high uh, prices and we could spend I know a lot of time talking about the energy uh, situation and how the EU and Ukraine can come closer together there but uh, but ambassador I mentioned at the beginning that uh, you have this second hat which is your your the representative to the European uh, autom- uh, atomic energy authority and uh, during the summer months uh, as I covered the Ukrainian issues, the fate of the, the security of the Zaporizhia a power plant with the, the UN pushing to have a team of inspectors uh, to get inside the plant, Russia dragging its feet, but finally uh, agreeing for that to happen and worries about the safety of the plant, particularly the power supply to the reactors. Um, could you maybe just give our listeners a sense of where things stand today? Uh, uh, do we have some assurances regarding the security of the of 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 the plant um, or or are we still potentially very worried about uh, uh, this and how do you see the prospects of implementing some of the ideas of the UN secretary general regarding the demilitarization uh, for example, of of, of the plant. So great if you could give us an update and then I'll have a final question for you before we let you go.
0: Well, what Russia did uh, both in in Chernobyl but uh, in particular, uh, with the Parisian nuclear plant, uh, it's it's unbelievable. It's unprecedented. Uh, I mean, uh, uh, shelling the station, using uh, the, the the station as a as as a as a, as a military uh, uh, strong, strong food, Let's put it this way: uh, terrorizing both the population and the personnel of the station, bringing in. Uh, representative of the Russian company uh, Rosatom uh, to 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 help to take the station control. Uh, all this is is, is unbelievable, and uh, uh, it creates uh, unprecedented risk to the whole the world, and definitely for Ukraine. Uh, what, uh, Russia, uh, what Russia what uh, Russia did definitely uh, resulted in in disconnection uh, uh of, of the station uh it is important that UN and the EAA stepped in and uh, it res- those efforts resulted in in uh, in, uh, in in, in, in uh, sending the mission uh, to Ukraine uh, it is important that uh, this initiative uh, taking by the director of the EA to create a uh, create a, a, a demilitarized zone around the station is implemented, but what is even more important not to let Russia uh, to manipulate both the mission and eventual uh, solution on the delimitarization. Uh, definitely, we don't need to convert it into the men's creed that Russia create the crisis and then use or misuse uh, the, the the international arrangement, uh, which uh, result uh, which of of of, of this uh, uh, crisis and, and and solution. So we we need to be vigilant. We need to be united, and we need to make sure that at the end the station is reconnected with Ukrainian grid, and contribute also to our uh, energy security and allow us uh, to. Boost up our electricity exports to the EU.
1: Perfect. Ambassador, a final question. Uh, Viewers of this podcast know that uh, I have a NATO background. (laughs) There's never been any secret there. So, although I said at the beginning that the purpose of the podcast today was not to analyze the military situation, so many people are doing it at the moment. Nonetheless, I I can't resist, with my old NATO hat on, the temptation to ask you this question. You know, what? happening with the Russian forces, do you think, at the moment? Uh, uh, We we see them in retreat, abandoning equipment, uh, lots of ammunition. Uh, That seems to sort of suggest that the reports that came out back in March regarding low morale, poor leadership, bad organization, dissension in the Russian ranks uh, are are, are true. So uh, we're seeing some good news at the moment. And uh, how do you explain, of course, uh, uh, the spectacular Ukrainian advance over the last few weeks? Uh, I don't myself want to put it all down to Russian collapse. I'm sure that the Ukrainian forces have played their full role there. But, but how optimistic does it make you that Ukraine could succeed in liberating all of its territory in due course? Uh,
0: definitely, uh, this is the only way uh, we can win, uh, is to move forward, uh, to get stronger with, with support of our allies. Uh, and uh, you ask uh, uh, how, how it happened, definitely it's a result of uh, eight, eight years of, of training and preparation of Ukrainian army, it's a result definitely of the bravery of Ukrainian army, leadership of, of the president and the, the, the commander in chief, uh, and uh, uh, support of the whole society because Uh, For the time being, it's clear uh, that Ukraine uh, can win, Ukraine will win, and we will push Russia out of Ukraine, and uh, there could be no compromise uh, with regard to the Ukrainian territorial integrity and sovereignty.
1: Ambassador Chessel, thank you very much for being our special guest today uh, Hopefully we can have you back on before too long onto the podcast But on behalf of Friends of Europe, uh, thank you very much for agreeing to do this today And I hope you enjoy the result uh, But again, uh, for me, uh, I'm in London at the moment I'm sorry if you heard some sort of police sirens Because I live in central London uh, in the background But it was a true pleasure to speak to you today And see you in person in Brussels before too long
0: That's it for this Frankly Speaking podcast. Consider subscribing to our newsletter or following us on Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn, or Facebook. And don't forget to tune in again this time next week.